0: You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love.
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for
2: sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the
3: Savage Lovecast.
1: Cum is being dumped. I'm not talking about all you cum dumps out there. I'm not talking about people who enjoy taking loads, singles or multiples, anonymous or known quantities. I'm talking about Come & Go, the gas station and convenience store chain founded in Iowa in 1958 by someone who knew not what he was doing. Come & Go now has 400 locations in 13 states. That Come & Go chain, recently acquired by maverick a different chain of gas and convenience stores and while maverick initially said they were going to keep the name come and go they have changed their minds i think there was some concern about the inadvertent double entendre a source inside maverick told csp daily news a trade publication that covers the convenience and petroleum retailing industry it's not often that a piece in csp daily news goes viral but this one did Another source inside Maverick put this question to reporter Mitch Morrison. Which brand do you think will have more appeal, Maverick or Come and Go? The person who put this question to Mitch Morrison thought it was a rhetorical question with only one correct answer. I don't think the answer is obvious. At the very least, before Maverick makes this change, they might want to check out how much revenue Come and Go t-shirts bring in annually. Like D.A.R.E. t-shirts, people who wear come-and-go t-shirts, are doing so ironically, but people wear them. I have seen them on come dumps in Berlin. I cannot say the same of a Maverick gas station t-shirt. I'm guessing you thought I was going to open the show this week by talking about polyamory, which is having a moment. Maybe you noticed? The New York Times, The New Yorker, New York Magazine, The New York Post all have run big stories about polyamorous relationships over the last couple of weeks. Hell, even the ladies on The View are arguing about polyamory right now. All this talk about polyamory, suddenly it's gotten so loud in the mainstream that some conservatives, you know, conservatives, not usually the kind of people prone to conspiratorial thinking, some conservatives are convinced it is a plot, The memo has gone out, terrible person Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire posted on Twitter last week. This is the next frontier in the war on the nuclear family. No memo went out, Matt. It was something far more banal. A book came out. A book was published. More. A memoir of open marriage by Brooklyn-based writer Molly Roden Winter. There were press releases, not memos, going out. And thanks to a big marketing push, a big and very successful marketing push, Congrats to the PR team at Penguin Random House. Polyamory is suddenly everywhere. Now, if I were a different sort of writer and podcaster, if I had one self-promoting bone in my body, I might take a victory lap I mean, I have been credited with helping to mainstream the conversation about ethically non-monogamous relationships. I've discussed the subject, polyamory and open relationships and ethical non-monogamy in my column for years, in my podcasts forever, even talked about it once on The View. But you know what? Instead of claiming a share of the credit for polyamory's breakthrough moment into the mainstream, I'm going to do something else, something else that I enjoy doing which is injecting a new word, fingers crossed, into the English language. Okay, so bear with me. Backing way the hell up. Remember season two of White Lotus, which I didn't talk about enough on this show? It was so smart about sex and relationships. Cameron and Daphne, they're married. They're monogamous, officially. But Daphne knows Cameron fucks around. And so Daphne, for her own self-respect, fucks around a little too. But as a couple, they want to be perceived as monogamous. They are socially monogamous and they're married and they have kids and they want the fucking around kept to a minimum, which sometimes it not being officially allowed does, keeps it to a minimum. And they love each other. So they tolerate the occasional lapse. Also, going to introduce into evidence the new queen of Denmark, Queen Mary, married to Dilf King Frederick X. I'm always working those European royal families into my intros on my dirty sex and relationship advice podcast, which to some doesn't make sense, but to me makes perfect sense when you consider that these royal families have no real power anymore, at least in the West, no political power. Like Ken's job in Barbie was beach. Frederick's job, really, when you think about it, is fuck. Get married, fuck, make some royal babies. who will grow up to get married, fuck, and make some more royal babies. Fucking, it's what the royal family in Denmark And the UK does. Anyway, before he became King Frederick, Frederick, then Prince, Crown Prince Frederick, was photographed on vacation in Spain with a woman who wasn't his wife. It was a little scandal. He denied having an affair, which he would do, even if he was. And Queen Mary and the Danish people shrugged it off. Queen Mary shrugged it off, kind of like Daphne shrugged it off. I'm sure she wasn't thrilled. And here's hoping, like Daphne, Queen Mary gets her own back every once in a while but maybe like Daphne, she's better than Cameron at not getting caught. Anyway, this seems to me a kind of consensual non-monogamy we don't talk about. A kind of consensual-ish non-monogamy that doesn't have a name. People who've essentially maybe kind of embraced or internalized something I've been saying for years, if you're with somebody for years and years and years and they cheat on you once or twice over the long course of a marriage, decades together, they were good at monogamy. Not perfect. All humans are imperfect. Perfection is a terrible standard to hold people to because people are always going to fail because people are failable. So yeah, instead of talking about polyamory during its big breakthrough moment, instead, what I'm going to do right now is roll out a new idea, a new concept, a new word that I want to beta test here on the show. A neologism. You know how I love coining new words, monogamish, pegging, centorum. And this one has the added benefit of being a, portmanteau, which is a new word made from two other words. So, okay, Daphne Queen Mary, seems to me if someone can tolerate a little outside sexual contact, someone's willing to turn a blind eye to a lap dance or a brief affair after years of marriage and they're able to focus on all the ways their spouse demonstrates their commitment and shows their love and all of those other ways compensate or make the cheating that might be happening tolerable. These people aren't fools or dupes. They're not to be pitied. They know what they signed up for and long ago made peace with what they got. They're willing to put up with it, a certain amount of it, reconciled to it, willing to tolerate it. They are, in a word, polyamorous. Polyamorous, from the Greek word for many, poly, the Latin word for love, amour. Tolerate, tolerable, tolerant. All share the same Latin root word, tolerare. Which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, which means to bear with. Polyamorous, open to many loves. Tollyamorous, willing to put up with some cheating by the person you love. I think it's a word we need. And I hope you think so too, because it's clear at this point that the Oxford English Dictionary is never going to put pegging in there. So I'm going to take another shot here, create another new word, and try to get it picked up and used. We all know people who've turned a blind eye or continue to turn a blind eye. We've all known Phoebes and Camerons. And what are they? They're not open. They're not polyamorous. They are, say it with me, polyamorous. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your Q, lots of my A. And joining me on the Magnum returning Savage Lovecast guest superstar, Erica Moen of Oh Joy Sex Toy. She joins me to talk about penis-shaped sex toys that aren't made of Toxic Chemicals. Also, for Magnum Subs this week, we're dropping a new Sex and Politics with culture writer, unheard columnist, and co-host of the Feminine Chaos podcast, Kat Rosenfield, who joined me to talk about her recent piece in Reason Magazine about trad wives. That's on Sex and Politics. It'll be popping up in your feeds on Thursday. And Magnum Subs, mark your calendars. Valentine's Day, we're going to have a Savage Love live Savage Love Lives are Zoom hangouts exclusively for Magnum subs. It's going to happen on Valentine's Day at noon. So if you have a question you need answered on Valentine's Day during your lunch break, if you're on the West Coast or at tea time, if you're on the East Coast, join us for Savage Love Live. The invite will pop up in your email inboxes on Valentine's Day in the morning. If you'd like to join us for Savage Love Live, become a Magnum sub now at Savage Love. Dot love. Becoming a Magnum sub, you get the Magnum Savage Love cast, more calls, more guests, no ads. You get access to the entire Savage Love sex advice column, invites to Savage Love Live, sex and politics, and more. All right. With those announcements out of the way and Tollyamorous injected into the conversation, let's get to your questions on this week's show. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off.
0: This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
1: This episode of the Savage Love Cast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com savage.
4: Hi, Dan. Early 30s, mostly straight woman living in the West who has recently had three dates with a guy I met on a dating app. We have several common interests, and our conversation has flowed extremely well. On each date we have had, things continued so effortlessly that we were the last people at the restaurant or bar other than the wheat However, I noticed during the first two dates that it was almost as though this man was trying to stay at least a foot away from me at all times. No touch on the arm, no hug, and certainly no, no kissing. On the third date, things had gone really well. And at the end, I decided to go out on a limb and ask if he was all right with hugging. We did end up hugging, but it was the quickest, most perfunctory hug on his end. Almost as though he was hugging a coworker or distant relative. The whole thing was odd to me because in my experience, when you spend hours talking over multiple dates, there's at least some sort of connection and attraction there. I was surprised that I had to initiate the hug and it was disheartening how it seemed like he didn't even want to touch me. This man also has a child from a previous relationship, and I learned through our conversation that the pregnancy had been quite a surprise to him and his now ex-partner. This flummoxed me even more because it proved there had been at least one instance in the past when he had been up for physical contact. A couple other things that might be important. I do take pride in my grooming and hygiene. I favor perfume and scented lotions, shower at least once a day, if not more, and keep up with oral health, so it's not as though... I smell or look so bad that he can't stand to be near me. Based on how well the conversation portion of the dates went, I also can't imagine that I did or said anything to offend him. I racked my brain, especially after that third date, and just couldn't come up with anything that would have been so off-putting that it would make him not want to touch me. Additionally, he is non-religious, so it's not like he's trying to stay chaste or right here to purity culture standards or anything of that nature. Overall, this experience has left me confused and frustrated. I'm ultimately looking for some insight as to why a man would go on multiple dates with someone and completely lack a desire for any physical contact. All
1: right, let's get this out of the way. He could be asexual. He could be gray sexual. He could be demisexual. He could be aromantic. There are people out there who are ace, who are demi, who wait until the third or fourth date if they're interested in someone to disclose their aromantic or asexual status. And he could have been sussing you out. And that's why you weren't getting that wanted to climb on top of you vibe that you've gotten from other guys you went on one or two dates with or ran into in a bar. Or the perfumes and lotions you cite that make you smell good. Maybe they were burning his eyes and throat. Some people have chemical sensitivities. I know personally for me, if a guy thinks he smells good because he's covered in cologne. I don't want to hug him. And I think that might be what's going on here, or I suspect, or I can point to one item in evidence that could indicate that that was perhaps the issue that he doesn't want to get within a foot or two of you. Maybe it's because of the pig pen cloud of perfume that you're wearing. Maybe you're wearing too much. Sometimes people do. What I think you need to do is ask him. You have literally nothing to lose. If it continues like this, you're not going to want to see him again anyway. So on that fourth date, if you go ahead and schedule that fourth date, if he's still doing this, stay two, three feet away from you at all times and isn't initiating any physical contact, just toss that on the table. Say, this is weird. This is unlike any other fourth date I've ever been on. Most guys are at least wanting a kiss, if not a whole lot more, but not you, what's up? Why is it different? And you might get an answer that you don't want to hear. You might get an answer that you don't like, just like you just got an answer you probably didn't want to hear and didn't like from me. But what do you have to risk? What do you have to lose? Nothing. There's no relationship here. What you have right now is a mystery. What was up with him? And you're frustrated because you don't know what was up with him. The only person who has an answer to that what was up with him question is him. And you can ask him. You might not get a straight answer, but it's your only option, your only chance of getting the answer. Or maybe, you know, if he lies or (laughs) wheedles or hems and haws, an answer. But he's the only one who's got an answer. And if I were you, it would be worth one more date to find out. It would be worth one more date with somebody that I enjoyed spending time with, that I had a a rapport with, that I wanted to see again, just to go on that date and wait until the dessert course and then be like, dude, what's up? Dude, what is up? Why are we here? What are you doing?
2: Hi, Dan. 40-year-old cishet man here on the East Coast, married with a six-year-old kid. My wife, who identified as a cis-straight woman when we got together 20 years ago, but now identifies as gender fluid and trans, is getting top surgery, and I'm pretty sad and worried about what it's going to do to my attraction to her and our relationship. About three years ago, she started a bunch of gender exploration that eventually saw her changing her name to one that leans more masculine and started using both she and he pronouns. She's also still genuinely fine with being called her old name and pronouns and is happy to be called a wife and a mom. Her presentation didn't change a huge amount day to day, and she still wears lots of clothes that lean feminine and neutral, though when she dresses up for weddings and such is often in more masculine-coded formal wear. The masculine name, and and especially hearing people call her he, was pretty distressing for me at first in terms of reminding myself of the increasing maleness of her her identity, but I've gotten less painful over time. We've kept up a good sexual connection the whole time, which is great— We have pretty open communication, went to couples therapy for about a year, and I've recently started with an individual therapist, all of which helped. Now she's decided to get top surgery at the end of February, after a whole bunch of back and forth about whether she actually wanted to. It's obviously her decision to make, and her breasts aren't the only thing that make her attractive to me, and I think small breast women are hot, generally. But it's hard to think there'll be this permanent physical reminder that feels like it symbolizes the male aspects of her identity, and that she chose to modify her body in a way that's less of attractive to her spouse. It feels like a different category than aging or cancer-related mastectomy or whatever, and um, this is something that she also acknowledges. Some other things that might be relevant, she's been consistent that she doesn't want hormones or bottom surgery, and I believe her, and there's theoretically room for openness in our relationship. After she came out as bi about eight years ago, she played around a bit with a female friend, and has said she's open to me having outside relationships I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I'm not particularly interested in it, uh, nor do I have energy right now with a small kid anyway. I love her and would really like to maintain my attraction to her and our sexual connection. Do you have any advice to increase our chances other than just to give it time and see what happens and uh, keep communicating? In most of the success stories I hear, the non-trans partner is a woman and often already queer.
1: Define success. If you define success as after your spouse has top surgery, you're still sexually attracted to your spouse and able to have an intimate sexual relationship and you don't feel at all deprived, that there aren't boobs in your life anymore that you have easy access to, you could be successful in that way. It's also possible that your spouse may continue to alter their presentation or appearance in ways where they eventually reach a tipping point where they're presenting in such a masculine way, and you are reacting to them, perceiving them in such a masculine way, that you as a straight man, as a heterosexual male, are no longer sexually attracted to your spouse who was identified as a woman and was female-bodied when you met and has landed somewhere in the middle. like Trans, as we used to understand it, really meant embracing a kind of radical idea about Binary. Trans used to mean somebody who went, you know, from male to female or from man to woman. Somebody who was born, assigned male at birth, and their gender identity, who they knew themselves to be, was in conflict with their sexed body. And they would alter their secondary, even their primary sex characteristics to the extent they could to be perceived as the opposite sex, Trans is now a much bigger fucking umbrella and your spouse's gender journey is much more ambiguous than the gender journeys of people who identified as trans 20, 30 years ago. Your spouse is coming down somewhere in the middle, more gender queer, gender fucked. Your spouse is getting top surgery. Your spouse is keeping her pussy. Your spouse is comfortable with she, her, and their, I guess, not quite dead name if they're still comfortable with people using it, but also alternately will use he, him pronouns and has an alternate masculine name that they are also comfortable with people using, sometimes dresses in feminine clothes, feminine-coated clothes, sometimes dresses more mask-coated. It may be that your gender queer spouse is someone that you are, once they have, fully realized their complete gender queerity, you're still sexually responsive to. And that would be one way this could be a success. Also might be that there's some tipping point where you're no longer sexually attracted to your spouse. What then? How do you make it a success then? Well, there's a lot of people out there in successful companionate relationships, and that may be where you ultimately end up. And your spouse's concession that they've already presented to you in advance that they're comfortable with opening the relationship so that you can still express your sexual orientation authentically and what i mean by that is sometimes talk people who have boobs and vaginas still your spouse is comfortable with that allowance creating that space in your marriage But the companion thing also has to be on the table. And you two have a kid together. And I think it's really important that you commit now to staying together as long as you can, to raise that kid together, whatever that might look like. Best case, you're still able to vibe sexually with your spouse after they get top surgery. That there's still enough there that is feminine and female that you as a heterosexual male are attracted to, and can respond, and it's joyful, and you still connect around that pleasure that you two are able to provide for each other. Or if it's not possible, you commit in advance to companionate, to loving married co-parents, to the child that you brought into the world together when you understood your relationship differently and Your spouse understood themselves differently and presented themselves to you very differently. That's one other route to success. And you know what? People who count success always as the couple stays together forever and look at a relationship, a marriage, where one partner came out as trans and transitioned and the marriage ended, as a betrayal of the trans partner, or the failure of that marriage? No. I have always said that if two people get out of something alive, we can look at it as a success. If your marriage ends, and this is the reason or a contributing factor, if you can pivot then to former spouses and loving friends and committed and generous co-parents, then even if your marriage ends, it was still a success story.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, and I am here to tell you, they offer so much more than just a website platform. They actually help you to build and grow your business or creative project. If you're just getting started, you can load in one of their professional website templates with designs for every category and use case. Then customize your look, update content, and add features to fit your unique needs. You can make any Squarespace template do what you want so your idea, brand, or business stands out online on every device. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products, and then production, inventory, and shipping are handled for you, saving you time and money. Then sell your products on an online store. Whether you sell physical, digital, or service products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You can use their asset library. Upload, organize, and access all your content from one place. With the new asset library, you're able to manage all your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. And I could go on and on, don't walk, run, to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, Use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash savage, and use the offer code SAVAGE.
5: Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the youth. I'm an early 50s man married to a woman 15 years younger than me. My sex problem is that my wife quit drinking. Uh, that might sound kind of strange, but she quit drinking because she had UC ulcerative colitis, and it was suggested that that might help. Although the results of that are negligible, if anything. And I also want to be clear that neither one of us is what I would call a problem drinker. It's a question of two or three cocktails on the night out and then coming home and having great uninhibited sex. And that does not happen anymore, which means sex we have is more akin to maintenance sex, the things that we do the menu of the sexual menu is completely changed there's no oral no butt stuff all of those were things that we would do on a weekend after a few cocktails she does puff weed but that doesn't really have the same effect at all and the reason it's kind of in the forefront of my mind right now is we're trying to plan a vacation <clears throat> and we have two kids so we would all be going uh they're preteen but in my mind now, if we can't have great sex on the vacation, then I almost feel like I don't even want to go. Uh, I don't know what to do, about it. I can't really ask her to start drinking yet. Uh, not that she would say yes, even if I did, but I'm just not. That's, I don't think that would be right on my part. So I just don't know where to go from here. I really miss the lightly buzzed sex we had. Well, like I said, there's no more exuberant oral like there used to be or anything else. It's just the straightforward maintenance. And I'm not really sure where to go from here. Um, She has said before that she's not quitting drinking forever, but it's been since summertime. I also work in the hospitality industry, so I'm going out sometimes after work to drink with the people I work with, which she doesn't like, but then she doesn't do it anymore. Uh, you know, that's like once a week. It's not like I do it all the time, but the absence of doing it with her want to do it with someone. I like it. What should I do?
1: There are two possible interpretations here. Uh, Your wife had to get drunk to fuck you or getting drunk, lowered certain inhibitions. Your wife who wants to fuck you has, I think it's likely the latter. And so The productive conversation that I think you should have is about inhibitions and whether there are other ways for you two to get to that place where you sometimes got with the aid of alcohol, as many people do, where you were having crazy fun, hopefully uh, mutual reciprocated oral and doing some butt stuff, which can also be reciprocated, you miss it. I think you're allowed to say to your wife, I miss the blowjobs. If the blowjobs stopped in my relationship, I would say, Hey, I miss the blowjobs. Can we talk about that? It may be that your wife misses the blowjobs too, but there is something about sucking a dick or you going down on her that, unless she has had a little bit of liquid courage, unless she's taken the edge off her inhibitions, which may have been pounded into her by her religious upbringing or the culture. It's not as pleasurable for her. She can't relax and enjoy. All right, without alcohol, what can you two do? How can you psych yourselves up? Is there any other thing? Maybe a little bit more pot, something else, maybe just conversation, maybe a weekend away with some, weekend away from the kids with some MDMA under a doctor's care and doctor's orders and prescribed to help address your burgeoning relationship issues, is there some other approach? Or is this about after your wife gets the all clear from her doctor, now that she's eliminated daily or weekly drinking, to have a couple of drinks every once in a great while, and that won't exacerbate or make worse the medical condition that prompted her to stop drinking in the first place, and you two can have one of these nights that you miss. It is a little childish and petulant for you to say, if we can't have crazy vacation sex, I don't want to go on vacation at all. There's a lot of reasons married people, long term married people with children go on vacations, and it's not just for sloppy head. You are, however, allowed to say to your wife, I miss these things. How do we get back to these things that we both enjoyed? there is a risk that what you're going to hear from her is she never really enjoyed them. I think that that is a small risk. Much likelier, much more often the case when people drink and then do crazy sex stuff that they wanted to do that crazy sex stuff, but they needed the drink to give themselves the permission to do that crazy sex stuff. How do you get to a place where your wife can do that for herself and for you without the alcohol that requires a conversation, a conversation which you are not being petulant or threatening to cancel a family vacation with your fucking kids. If you don't get exactly the kind of oral sex that you want. So have that conversation, but zoom the fuck out. It is a conversation about pleasure, mutual shared and inhibitions and how to overcome them either by bringing booze back in a careful, controlled, doctor-approved manner every once in a while, or figuring out a way to shut down those inhibitions that you used to shut down with alcohol? Is there a different way to shut them down? Maybe it's you eating your pussy first for a good 45 minutes. Maybe that would inspire her. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex—the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Euphoria's products. This is a quote: "I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm, and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure." And another quote. We use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. And leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So, yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later.
3: Hi, Dan. I am an ABDL and I have a fantastic partner who loves me and uh, will engage with my fetish. It's great and fantastic. However, she engages strictly from a non-sexual role play capacity while I find it role play and also sexual part of it. ABDL's weird. <laughs> um, complicated. Anyways, she, in a recent session that we were having, uh, she said that she felt physically turned on even though mentally she's not turned on. And that started to worry her and squick her out. And I was just trying to figure out your thoughts on that. What are your thoughts, Dan, on a partner who's abiding and will do service level engagement with one's fetish but is concerned when they are turned on by engaging with their partner in that fetish. What's going on here Dan? Hey
1: everybody in case you didn't catch that acronym ABDL adult baby diaper lover that's what that means and I got him on the phone. So how is this not the ideal outcome? How is this not the best of all possible worlds? This kink of yours that your fiance has indulged you in uh, and enjoyed the role play of, she's now enjoying it or maybe enjoying it in the same ways you've always enjoyed it, not just as role play, but also erotically and sexually. How is that not a Yahtzee moment?
3: Uh, I think it's not a Yahtzee moment because it freaked her out. concerned her and I want to support my partner and help them with issues and when it comes to this one I have a vested interest in one of the outcomes and I don't want to unfairly weigh the scales and I want to just support from just like without a place of uh bias
1: Okay, so have have you played again since she suddenly, after however many years she's been indulging you in ABDL, she suddenly became aroused during this play? Have you played since? No. Could it have been a coincidence? Sometimes there's spontaneous arousal. People get randomly aroused. All of us who uh, have penises remember spontaneous erections that we weren't really thrilled about having but couldn't wish away. That can also happen Uh to women and people with all those spontaneously aroused, seems to me the the quickest way to find out if this is actually taking root in your fiance's, you know, erotic imagination would be to play again and see what happens.
3: Fair, yeah, that's uh that is not a consideration I would have had.
1: And if it does happen again. What does it say to you that she feels weird about it, conflicted about it? Does that feel a little kink shamey to you? Because it's fine for you to be aroused by this, but she's the normie in the relationship and she's uncomfortable if she's suddenly becoming aroused by this?
3: I don't know if it's kink shame. I don't really I think when you you and do ABDL, you get to a point where shame is in a question or a thing you worry about, you get past it or you you suffer. But I just want to support her, right? I don't want to influence unfairly. I want her to come to this the best way for her and give her as much time as she can, you know? So like, I've had, I've known this about myself myself since I was, you know, like maybe 12 or 11. That's however many years, right? Like a a couple decades. Mm -hmm. And this might be new to her as of maybe three years, right? So, there's a, I I, I want to give her time and space.
1: When did you tell her and how did that conversation go?
3: (laughs) Uh, I told her about six months into our relationship. I think it didn't go well on my part because I presented it incorrectly. How so? We went to say, I love you for the first time. And I like was like, hold on the brakes. Wait, wait, wait before you in my my mind, I was like, before you can say this, you need to know this thing about me mm. because it's unfair for you to not know this and to feel this way right. about me. So that and, was bad presentation on my part.
1: Right. And it was al- almost like a little late. Some people yeah. would say that, you know, she was already feeling it. You'd been together for a while before you disclosed this to her. You know, that's people who have challenging kinks, unique uh, or rare kinks. And ABDL, I think, used to qualify as rarer than it does now. It seems to be having kind of a kink moment. Um, There seems to be more people like Puppy Play getting into ABDL. And, you know, if you feel like you're going to get dumped over and over and over again, if you disclose waiting to disclose so somebody has to weigh the person they've come to know and perhaps have some feelings for against their hang-ups or prejudices I think that falls under the category of all's fair in love and war uh to a certain extent I'm glad I'm glad you disclosed it before marriage before kids when it was still possible if this was a deal breaker for her or a libido killer for her to walk away I I think you you did it right even if you did kind of by blurting it out at the moment you were both about to say, I love you the first time kind of screw that moment up for her. Hopefully she's able to laugh about it now. I mean, she's still with you and you're engaged now. So it didn't derail the relationship.
3: Yeah. We, uh, we laugh about it enough. It's, uh, It's like, hey, you remember when you did this thing and you said you loved me?
1: (laughs) Well, I was about to say I love you for the first time and you threw your diapers on the table. (laughs) Yeah, I could see how, you know, you're either going to break up or you're going to laugh about that together one day. There's no in between. No, there's not. (laughs) It's really, it speaks well of you that you want to be conscientious about this and you don't want to seem as if you're you know, rooting for one outcome or subtly coercing her. And yeah, you have a bias here. And I think you just have to acknowledge that bias. Like, you know, it's everybody's dream to be with somebody who shares their kinks. We're able to explore my kinks together and we both take some pleasure. Like you've enjoyed the role play. I've enjoyed the role play and the erections. If this is now turning you on, I can see how that might – be a zap on your head. You can empathize. It was a zap on your head when you were 11. Right. Mm-hmm. And it might help, you know, if she was going to have a conversation with you about it or a conversation with a kink informed therapist about it, it might help for her to think about the themes instead of the specifics of this kink. Cause sometimes people have very specific kinks. You had a very specific kink tied to a very specific material or object or activity and some people have kinks that I think are more thematic. They're into dom-sub, and there's many different ways that dom-sub can be expressed or arousing to somebody who that theme kinds of kind of works for. Uh, and, and, you know, and other broad themes, ravishment. And, but I think they all come back to dom-sub on some level when you start trying to break them down. And it, it may help if your fiancé can compartmentalize this a little bit. Like, was it the diapers, or is there a theme here that there's other ways to explore together, so I can get enjoyment from like the symbolism or the the the, the meaning of this thematic thread that runs through the diapers and then suddenly running through my pussy, if we can explore that in other ways too, maybe that she'll feel less shame or 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 conflict or less conflicted about it, yeah. But my you know I go back to my original hunch that this could have just been a coincidence that she's overthinking it and over and there's a little bit of overdetermination going on here where you're attaching she's attaching meaning and significance and importance to this moment of arousal that may never come again, but if you never. Uh, Yeah, you know, play again. You'll never know it's not going to come again and it'll become very fraught. So, you know, if I was talking to your fiance, I would tell her to just go for it again. And if she becomes aroused again, okay, well then maybe what does that arousal mean? What other ways can you explore? You know, what are her emerging kinks? It's often true. And your case may be a perfect example. Guys, boys, they know what their kinks are at 12, 13, 14. Often they're thrown into extremely high relief. Women, there's something about female sexuality, male sexuality kind of functions very differently. A lot of women don't come into their kinks, don't even unearth or uncover or realize them until later in life, until they're in their, you know, 30s, 40s, sometimes 50s. And whether that's some way that female sexuality functions different than male sexuality or that's something about the way women are socialized to defer the way you know, compared to the way men are socialized to feel entitled. Who knows? Can't tease that apart right now, right here. But it is broadly and generally true. So it could just be that she's coming into her own sexually and her kinks are going are gonna to roll out of her. And it may be just because this is the only kink you're exploring. This is the kink it's attaching to right now. And there may be more of her that you two need to make some space for in your relationship to explore, so that she can find what's hers. And there may be some part of what's hers that your thing clicks with. And that has to be okay. And you shouldn't feel terrible about it.
3: Okay. Yeah. I mean, we do, I like, for what it's worth, we do do other, like. Oh, good. Yeah. Like. She's when you talk about emerging kinks, she has an emerging pegging kink, and it's pretty and it's awesome. When she
1: pegs you, is it coming from a place of power and dominance? Is that part of what works about it for her? Um, because there's no nerve endings in that dildo that she's wearing. No,
3: no, I don't. I mean, I think it's partially that.
1: Well, there's something about power and dominance when somebody is regressing in play to mm. a state of complete helplessness as a, you know, an adult yeah. baby, an infant. So I'm already like seeing through lines and themes here that are broad. Oh. And yeah and just, I think you two should not panic. You shouldn't panic about your bias. She shouldn't panic about what this means, but you should keep playing and and play again. And yeah. I'm almost rooting for her to still be turned on by it. It just for her to like put it into a a larger context, you know, if it makes her feel better about it, it's not the diapers, it's not the ABDL, that's not my kink. I'm GGG, that's a place I go for my partner. But in ABDL, there are themes of dominance and submission and helplessness and control. And those are what works for me. Those bedrock, tectonic themes, plates, movements that that's probably what's in it for her or is suddenly clicking for her. And I hope she could get to a place where she could celebrate that and not feel like your kink was contagious and she caught it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, I hope for that too. Good luck. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff or a well rounded bush. This high quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers over five star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy. With your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M E R I D I A N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience, and with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today.
3: Hi, Dan. Do swingers actually use pineapples as a symbol that they're in the lifestyle, or is that just something that people on TikTok made up?
1: I googled that for you, and according to Google, yes, swingers have adopted the fruit pineapples to let other like-minded people know that they are welcome and want to connect. Here's the thing about pineapples, though. They're relatively common incorporated into design motifs. People sometimes have different fruit magnets on their fridges, and some of them can be pineapples. People sometimes have pineapples in their house. You can't make an assumption when you see a pineapple that that's telling you anything actionable about that couple. This thing, swingers and pineapples, I've heard about it before. Actually, pineapples have a long history of being a sign of hospitality. There are all sorts of palaces in Europe, you know, once Europe began to exploit North America and the pineapple came to Europe that incorporated pineapple motifs into designs and it just meant abundance and hospitality. And I guess swingers adopting the pineapple, that does also speak to abundance and a certain kind of hospitality. But you can't just see the pineapple and start making out with some other dude's wife in his kitchen in front of him. You're still going to have to Ask. It may be a wink, but it's not a confirmation. This swingers use pineapples. Kind of reminds me of like gay guys and hanky codes. But you know, just seeing a certain car hanky in somebody's back pocket on the left or right side. It was a sign maybe that you had a chance, but you still had to, you still had to ask. But I got to say, you know, a gay guy going out to the bar is choosing a particular colored hanky and putting it in a particular pocket, even though in bar light you could t- couldn't could tell what color anybody's hankies were, likelier to be a sign of an interest in a particular activity. Pineapples are so ubiquitous and such common kitchen magnets that I don't think in 99.99% of cases that a straight couple, an opposite-sex couple with a pineapple on, near, or around them is telling you that they're swingers. If you're wondering whether they're swingers, you're still going to have to ask pineapples or no pineapples. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of listener comments about last week's show posted at savage.love. Says Laura, oh, Dan, cleaning the fridge has been used in restaurant kitchens probably since we've had walk-in fridges. Maybe the culture around hitting on your coworkers has changed in the last decade, and I hope it has, but back when I was working in restaurants, I heard that expression a lot. Well, I worked in restaurant kitchens too back in the day, and we didn't fuck around in the walk-in coolers. They were too... Cool. They were too cold. We were all about the storerooms and the basements. Says Branches. Dan's top of the show mention of Cuckold's Light reminds me that there's a town in Newfoundland called Dildo. Yes, Dildo. Who's going to tell him and what kind of fun will he have with it? Well, you told me, Branches. Dildo, according to Wiki, got its name sometime before 1711. It was originally Dildo Island. I read a couple other stories about Dildo, apparently locals last petitioned to change the name of the town in 1990. Read a recent story about how everyone in Dildo loves the name Dildo now, particularly since the founding of the Dildo Brewing Company. And we were all invited, according to the Dildo Brewing Company's website, to visit their tap room, which I intend to do if I ever get to visit dildo. Says Red Wolf to the caller from Colorado struggling in a poly relationship. I'm on the other side of that coin. I'm in a long-term relationship that recently became consensually non-monogamous. I was envisioning an open relationship but my partner fell in love with someone and I found myself unwittingly poly. Dan's advice was great. There was a lot that I needed to hear. I highly recommend also Polysecure by Jessica Fern, which helped me to see that what I desire most in a relationship is security and that security comes from our experience together and not the structure of the relationship. You know, I actually haven't read Polysecure yet, but I just ordered it. It was a real oversight on my part not to pick up this book that so many open couples and individuals and solo poly practitioners are raving about. Well, it is on its way finally to my house. I am going to read it and I am going to invite its author, Jessica Fern, onto an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session, a weekly bonus column for Magnum subscribers, which goes up every Thursday along with the Muppet-faced Man of the Week at savage.love. And now, Listener Response Calls.
0: Hey, Dan. Listener Response Call for episode 899 for the lady who's dating the serial emotional cheater. I think the one piece you missed there is why was this guy insisting on monogamy with all these ladies so soon, taking them away so early? All of these things kind of indicate like love bombing to me, which I know you do go on about a lot in a lot of other episodes, but the fact that he was doing this and insisting on monogamy, taking them away so early, doing those things, it leads me to believe that this guy also, uh, there were some other emotional controlling things that were happening or about to start happening with this woman. So on top of the fact that he is an absolute serial lying piece of shit cheat, He's also probably an emotional abuser too. Run for the fucking hills, lady.
3: Hi, Dan. Just wanted to respond to the guy in episode 899 who pushed back against his friend's feelings and sort of got broken up with after he had started dating someone new. I think he gave good advice. Um, there isn't really much he can do, except I think it might be worthwhile to write him a letter uh, and explain how he feels. I, I don't know about anyone else, but I got the feeling that he was harboring a lot of guilt and maybe some of that guilt had come out as anger. And possibly, you know, poisoned the friendship a little bit. And, and that's a lot of what he might have been feeling. So, you know, a letter where he apologizes and explains why he reacted the way he did and just wishes his friend the best and, and leaves the door more open to a future friendship. It really might clear his conscience a little bit and improve the chances that there might be some future for these two, you know, down the line when his friend has worked through his feelings.
4: Hi, Dan Savage. I just wanted to mention one last thing about Saltburn. A friend of mine who's a gay guy, I asked him, he was going to watch it, and um, he's like, I don't see what the big deal is. And I was like, well, call me when you get to a disturbing scene. So he called me when it was done, and he's like, that wasn't that bad. It was pretty gross. And I was like, what scene are you talking about? And he's like, oh, when he ate that chick out with honor period. So I just thought, it's funny, it's all relative about who thinks what's disgusting or Or what?
1: And we're going to leave it there. Want me to answer your question on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast? There are three ways to get us your question. Record your question savage.love slash askdan, or you can make a voice memo on your own phone and email us your question or comment to q at savage.love, or you can call our landline and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. You got a little more time to grab advance discount tickets to Hump Part 1, opening February 8th in Seattle and then touring the country and the world. Berlin, Berlin, Germany, Hump 2024 is coming to you, and I will be there to host on April 9th and 10th. Everybody who wants tickets to Hump 2024, part one, go to humpfilmfest.com right now and get those discounted tickets. And Magnum Subs, we again have a new sex and politics for you with writer, commentator, and novelist and podcaster Kat Rosenfield. Look for that in your feeds on Thursday. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And I am still uh, on the bad place at Fake Dan Savage. Check out Erica Moen's work at ojoysextoy.com and think about becoming one of her patrons at patron.com slash Erica Moen, E-R-I-K-A-M-O-E. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by N-A-N-C-Y Hartoonian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.